Hello and welcome to The Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to amazing, fascinating people from across the globe that are comedians like you and me with this comedy journey on our own terms. Now, today's guest is a comedy connoisseur. He's conquered Italy. He's conquered the UK. He is an absolute comedy dynamite and is one of my favourite acts on the comedy circuit. Please welcome Luca Capani. Hey, hello. Thank you. Hi, Marvin. Thank you, everyone, for having me on Comedian's Paradise. Thanks. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you, Luca. And like, um, for anyone that doesn't know about you, like, what's a, what's a brief synopsis of, of like, who you are, what you've done, and like, how you are with me today? <laughs> so I am Italian, but I moved to the UK, to London, um, eight years ago, beginning of 2014. And I started doing comedy in London after I moved here because the original plan was to be an actor, but then I found out that with my strong Italian accent, I had kind of limited choice for acting, but I found out about the open mic. Uh, so my, my first gig was uh, an open mic, like many comedians, but it was the comedy store, the gong show. Huh. Unlike many comedians, I didn't know the, how brutal that night could be, but that was the start of a nice journey. So now I'm... Uh, Still enjoying it. I'm learning. I survived the pandemic. So that's uh, now I'm here. And uh, I recently have started also doing comedy in Italian in Italy. Uh, I got some uh, TV credit there. So I'm trying to, I'm ba mainly based in London, but I try to perform anywhere they, they, there's a chance, whatever, whether it's uh, Europe uh, in English or Italy in Italian or in Italy in English, any, anywhere. I am always happy to be on stage. Of course, that's all of us comedians. I think comedian as a whole, you could put us on anywhere. You could put us on a farm. As long as there's audience there, we're ready for it. Exactly. We, we are addicted to stage and it is a live form of art. I think more than other things, we need a live circuit. We need live night. Even if, okay, even comedians are hugely successful on TV, you can see them sometimes trying new stuff in a comedy club because at the end of the day that's what we are meant to do so i i think it's better even for them if even very successful comedians like to go on stage uh, in a live comedy club that means something i believe it, it, one of the great things about comedy is that even someone like paul chowdhury or jimmy carr um justin who's the big one jason manford you'll see them at the small over mics yes uh and uh that's good because uh, that's where you get a test of your material. And another good thing is that the audience never lie. So if you, if your joke isn't isn't good, they want la laughter cannot be fake. Maybe in a TV show you can have additional fake laughter, but live you get it. You get if you are connected with the audience, if there's a good energy. So it's a, it's a weird job because you never, you can never think okay. I got it. Now I know exactly how to do it. Even when you do your best material, there's a chance that might not work on that night with that uh, energy you might have or not have. Maybe you it takes you a bit longer to connect to the audience. Maybe uh, they are they don't know you well. They don't know. In my case, maybe my accent could be a bit of a put off for someone. So I need to be able to connect with them to find a way to to make them laugh. And that and this is challenging, but it's part of the beauty of of this job, in my opinion. Are you saying that comedy is a lot like a crossword puzzle? 
Yes, because uh, it's the good thing is never the same. Even because when I started, I remember I thought, should I do a new material every night? That was almost impossible. But then you learn that even your uh, the, the, the jokes you have already done many times can be done in a slightly different way. Maybe there's a, uh, you can always improve even your old material. Maybe it's about uh, the pacing, maybe it's uh, uh, the way you deliver the joke, the punchline, the setup. Maybe, maybe sometimes it's a pause, an, an extra pause, or uh, maybe you don't make a pause where you need to do. And uh, this can change the, the outcome, the result. So it's, all, it's always good to, yes, try new stuff, but also try your old stuff in a, in a new way. Try to uh, be, this, be surprised by yourself. So don't just focus on spontaneity, but also treat things like a fine wine, right? Yes. So it's experimental. Make, make even old stuff fun. Yeah, because uh, if you deliver old jokes, like okay i'm doing old jokes so then automatically i believe your energy is lower you're less convincing and you don't know if the audience have already unless you are hugely famous unless you have done this bit in live at the apollo then okay probably they've already seen it but you don't know maybe they haven't seen you before so try to make i love when comedians make me think when i'm an audience member uh maybe i'm enjoying i've already done my bit and i'm enjoying the comedians after me and i know their material but i always love when they manage to surprise me to to deliver their stuff as if it is the first time they thought about it that makes special someone might think is a sort of a deception for the audience but it's a beautiful one everyone is is, is living that moment everyone is enjoying that clever observation that uh, surprising callback that jokes and doesn't matter how many times the comedians have done the same things over and over, they will look fresh every time. So I think it's a, it's a good thing. It's a, something we need to learn, in my opinion. Well, one of the things that, yeah, it's one of the things that sort of stood me out with you, like even when I first saw you a while ago, I think it was maybe six, seven years ago, like you did the comedy store the first time. A lot of comics, you know, they, it takes them maybe years to get through the gong show. You did it on your first try. And yeah, I, I won it, which I which is incredible. Yeah, one of the things I noticed is you're you're very analytical and you're very good at problem solving on the stage, and you're very step by step. Like you're you're self aware, and I think that's that's a common thing that a lot of comics aren't aware of, like their strengths and their weaknesses. But when I spoke to you, the way you broke down comedy and had a chat with you, you could tell that you're very aware of yourself and are very aware of what works, and you you take things step by step. Am I right in saying that? <laughs> yeah, thank you. But but that's something I started lear learning when I was doing comedy because, uh, well, I started, again, at the comedy uh, store because I Googled the best open mic in <laughs> London and the first result was the gong show. <laughs> what I didn't tell you is, is the most brutal open mic. And I didn't know uh, anything about comedy back then. I... I my knowledge of comedy was watching some episode of Seinfeld, you know, so where you expect the comedy club as a sort of a jazz club with a small, um, small round tables around the stage and a nice uh, wall of bricks, uh, a sort of intimate atmosphere. And for those who went to whoever go to the comedy store, it's nothing like a jazz club because there's 400 people there. On the gong show night, they are fairly drunk. Because I don't know why, maybe because the tickets are cheaper, so they can spend more on beer. But they are 
some of them are vicious and it's they they like to shout uh, that the, the goal for the comedian is to resist five minutes without being gonged off so it's not exactly an it's an interesting learning curve and that night i only had prepared one joke at the very beginning very stupid joke because i thought they're gonna <laughs> gong me off straight away so that my only joke was i'm single because i was single back then and i'm hiv negative because i thought so half of the chat up is already done my idea was i go there i say this they will send me off and then at the bar i will try at least to chat up some girl and I will try to reassure them, you know, I'm HIV negative. That's not an health issue. <laughs> and they laughed when I said HIV negative. So I had to explain that I took a test and stuff. And, and they, I, my English was much worse than now. I made a lot of mistakes, but probably they got some, I got some point because of a sort of sympathy point. They saw someone genuinely struggling, but trying his best. And I believe this is what I was uh, saying before about uh, being honest and um, the audience that never lies about your uh, about their reaction so if they see you uh, being honest uh, and vulnerable that helps and that's so that's how i started then uh, i try to learn new stuff because uh, when you win the gong show the prize is a five minute open spot since I didn't know much about the rules, when I went to the uh, first open spot, I tried all new stuff in my mind, which makes no sense because at the comedy store, you're not supposed to bring new stuff. You need to bring your best five minutes, but I didn't know, now I'm learning. Um, but uh, what you said about being aware of being on stage, uh, it's, uh, it's true, but I also learned it from the top secret. I don't know if you've been recently to the top secret comedy club, which is one of For a while, that's a great club. It's one of the best in London, in my opinion, now. And they have uh, usually at least two shows uh, with full rooms. One room upstairs is about 150 people. And another one downstairs, which is bigger, more than 200, maybe 250, 300, I don't know, a lot of people. And they are both full. And what happens, the lineup is the same. So they have two MCs for the two rooms. And then the same comedians, they start uh, 20 minutes late, uh, earlier upstairs, maybe. And so you do your bit there, then you run downstairs and do the same. So you, do the, you can do the same exact uh, material for the same length of time in the same club on the same night, 15 minutes apart, and it will be two completely different shows because uh, the audiences are, are different. Maybe there's a more, there are more, I don't know, um, middle-aged people in one room and younger in another one. Maybe the MCs are different, so maybe the energy they they give the audience is different. The way they do the warm up is different. So you can never rely on, oh yes, this worked upstairs. So now I go downstairs in uh, autopilot. I just relax. I will deliver the same things. I will say the same joke. You can say the same things, but you need to always do it as if it's the first time and try to forget what just happened upstairs, whether it's good or bad, because uh, it's a new thing. It's uh, every comedy night is, uh, is unique. This is something to me, uh, fascinating, although it's a source of problem sometimes because you can never relax. I don't know. I, I wonder if someone who makes pizza has the same problem. I think that at some point, then once you know how to do a margarita, you can do a margarita. You, I don't think they say, oh my God, tonight I really messed up mar margarita. I don't, I mean, if you use the same ingredient and you do the same procedure, chances are it should be 
more or less the good pizza. In this job, you can <laughs> completely mess up your recipe, even if you're doing the same old gold material you've already been done for, for, for been doing for for uh, for years. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. But does it? I mean, what? <laughs> well, it's yeah. How, how how do you how do you manage to refresh it? Do you just meditate? Luca, do you, do you, do you write parables? Do you listen to rap, drill music? <laughs> I, well, I, no, I, okay. What I do, it started like a sort of a superstition because I did the first time before going to the, to the gong show. Uh, I listened to Lose Yourself by Eminem. Oh. And yeah, it uh, gives you the kind of a uh, right dose of anxiety because if, because it's a nice, it's a beautiful song. It's about a failure, uh, failure on stage. That's about a rap battle, hip hop battle. But the feeling of uh, bombing on stage, it's something you are, as a comedian, you are familiar with. At some point, you need to be familiar with this. So in a way, when I listen to the song and listen to the lyrics, I remember myself that uh, I need to make it good for that moment. It puts me a, a bit of pressure it gives me a bit of pressure that helps me maybe to have a, a, an energy. I, when I can, I do a bit of a little jumps just before going on stage, you know, because it's a physical job. Even if you are uh, holding a mic and doing not much, not much else, because you can stay perfect. You can stand perfectly still if you want, but still you are supposed to have a bit of energy. It's maybe hard to explain, but I'm sure even as an audience member, you have seen it. Everyone can see when a comedian, when a performer has the right energy or when they are um, low and, and then you lose interest immediately. Even if you are a deadpan act, you can be a deadpan act that commands the room with a very strong stage presence, apparently doing nothing, but everyone is there. Maybe it's the eyes, maybe it's the way they look, maybe it's the pose again. And the audience are uh, hooked on the performer or you can have a very energetic actor who jumps on stage but nobody really cares because there's something off with the way they do they do it so uh i i this is one of the tricks i try to use but there's no much trick the idea is to remember yourself that we are there for the audience and uh, we need to give them the best we can at that moment i, I think well, you mentioned a very interesting point. I mean, you you probably know him very well, but like Valeria Sara, who's one of my favorite acts in a circuit, he's very deadpan and surreal. And he said one of the big moments of him was the pauses. And he does some absolute ridiculous stuff. Like now he's doing music and he, 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 he changes traditional songs. So like everybody hurts. He changes to everybody poo. And then he, yeah. he's doing chickens and he's very deadpan he commands them like you say and then like you yourself you're very energetic and you're quite likable on stage and you've you've just got tons of energy yeah i tried valerio is is a good friend of mine and yes we could we could be more different on stage i remember yes. him again i think it was a gong show and i think he bet the gong by um uh, he managed to beat the gong by just staying, stay silent for five minutes. Like he yes. was always about to open his mouth and talk. He never did. But to be able to endure five minutes of complete silence, keeping the audience on their toes, like, okay, I'm going to say something. No, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's a skill. I don't have the same. I, f I fear the audience. So I need, uh, I feel like I try to feed them with like, uh, you know, if you are... Uh, 
synthetic, like, imagine you are in a, in a um, sea world with killing whales and you have a bucket full of fish for them to <laughs> eat. You just throw them all the food you have because <laughs> they don't eat you. And that gives a bit of energy probably out of fear. But um, yeah, we, again, Valeria is a perfect example of a different type of energy and you can do whatever. If you are in control of the, of the stage, you can do whatever you want and get away with whatever you want. That's another be beautiful thing. I, I, my, my energy sometimes is out of fear that because that's the imprinting I originally had since my first ever gig was the 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 gong show. So it's like if your first, uh, uh, imagine, yeah, I, I have a bit of a vulgar uh, analogy. Imagine if someone is completely inexperienced in sex and their first time <laughs> is an orgy. <laughs> that gives you strong feelings, strong memories, and then might give you a sort of a, a people might see uh, years later that the way you act is mm, what, what was your first time? You behave in a way that that uh, gives me some some vibe. So I'm, I'm probably when I'm on stage, a part of me is still leaving the the moment, the emotion of being on a big comedy club in a gong show so a lot of lot of tension but yeah that that might be part of my style I, th I think without a doubt like the nerves help a lot in comedy i think people say oh you shouldn't be nervous you're comfortable i think with comedy it definitely helps a lot yeah i i think so um yeah because if if you feel that there's no winning or losing then you're not going to do your best and you're put in quite a dangerous situation so you're like in a way how did i survive this that that's 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 it forces you to think on a spot it forces you to do your best if you're too like some of the times when i'm doing the new material nights it feels like there's no winning or losing so you don't enjoy it yeah yeah we need audience we need a reaction from the audience but even uh, to to name some very famous comedian like uh, jimmy carr it looks So he's expecting some some reaction that might be uh, that might be bad. Some people might be unhappy, and he's always quick in uh, answering and replying to what the audience say. So he's a uh, he's very quick on his feet when he and that that means he has he's in full energy. He's not he's not still and uh, how can I say? lazy is is full of energy and uh, you wouldn't heckle jimmy carr because it would get back to you very quickly he's very sharp but that's that's i want to watch one of his shows and it seems that's the bit i enjoyed most i mean he, he he's probably got every sort of heckle in the book written down he's, he's probably spent hours and hours getting that sharpness to be able to do it i mean but one of the things that's annoying about stand-up is the people that don't see stand-up is they think oh you just get up on stage there's no skill involved there's no nothing and they 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 they, they can be quite annoying at times it's not treated with any respect a lot of the time yeah in in a way yes i believe it's considered it's probably the most basic form of performative art because you don't need uh, a scenery you don't need a set of design you don't need uh, and even if there's no microphone to be fair in some rooms that are so small you don't even need that microphone i mean you you can just talk but 
it's very it's a bare form you are you are naked and people will uh, get to see you in in um at your most vulnerable uh, being the, the way you are most vulnerable i know some people maybe some people misunderstand uh, the the um, the the real natural com stand up comedy also because uh, they think that since they have seen uh, a few comedy specials or netflix or other now that's that's comedy but these are just comedy specials this is not what happens on a live night in a comedy comedy club because uh, it's like if you listen to the greatest hit of a, of a and music doesn't mean you know everything about music and you certainly don't know the way they started the way they where they're just a garage band trying to find their 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 voice to to write their music so yeah it's uh, maybe the the specials gave stand up comedy a bigger audience in a way but it's a tv audience they don't necessarily go out they don't necessarily necessarily buy a ticket and they don't spend time out so they miss you might have a, a dolby surround you still won't be in the same room with the comedians and the audience so that's an experience i would recommend everyone to do uh, sooner or later if if they like this even, even even if they don't if they think they don't like comedy or they don't know it they should try and london or the uk are, are perfect places to mm. some nice comedy do do what's so so when you're on the stage and you're like at the big clubs like top secret comedy store and like people who who have only just watched tv comedy shows and they come and have a chat with you how are they usually like so in my case what happens sometimes there's a usual oh you're so brave doing comedy in a second language um well yes thanks well i i find funny the idea about being brave because uh, before moving to the uk i was doing a boring job nine to five that i really didn't like it and uh, to be fair that you need to be brave to endure a life you don't like rather than pursuing what you really like so yeah i think there's more there there is more people i see more brave people when they are on the train uh, committing <laughs> to their job they might not like that's <laughs> this is brave uh, at least i'm trying to do what i like so i find it uh, already a, a reward although it could be maybe financially better rewarded but at least i'm doing i'm, I'm learning i'm growing i like this yeah. um this the journey i really like also the journey and some people are interested in uh, in uh, where I'm from in Italy, and then you can spot quite uh, easily whether they are um, middle class or working class. If they've been to Tuscany and uh, the island and Capri, so, okay, yeah, I know you got the nice experience of Italy. Someone says, "Oh, do you? Why do you move to London? I've been to Naples. That was great. Yeah, but you were on holiday. That's on holiday. Every country is great. Yes, <laughs> maybe." Yeah, if you are a comedian living in London, in Italy is not, in my opinion, that great. There's no much, no many opportunities. Uh, so, but yeah, I have some some chats. They, sometimes they they look genuinely surprised, mainly because uh, I believe that uh, uh, they don't know what to expect. But they always assume. So I, I start talking, and I I'm Italian, and I say I'm Italian, and I think we have some sort of invisible tags with ourselves. So people necessarily inevitably assumes they know what they're gonna receive so probably for me they would, would expect a lot of jokes about italian food or pizza sometimes i do them but maybe i try to do them from an angle they're not expecting i'm trying to surprise them so 
a few times when I speak to audience members after the show, I realize that they've been pleasantly surprised by not getting what they were expecting. Like if you uh -huh. meet some, you know, maybe you have a comedian from India and you say, okay, we'll mention, I don't know, tea, British Empire. Maybe they will, but they won't do the way I was expecting. That's the, another, uh, Okay. You, you know, the concept of hack, which is something that is, is not translated in Italian. And I believe that some of my... <laughs> Italian colleagues should learn this concept, the idea of uh, doing material that have been already done so many times and you're not that original in doing it. So this is the, yeah. another sort of invisible tag we have upon, above our heads. We go on stage and people will assume, like when I first started comedy, uh, every two comedians, one was mentioning Jimmy Savile. Yeah. And they were mentioning in the same way everyone else was. So it was the same things over and over. So uh, when you manage to avoid the, the hack or to touch the same subject, but in a funny and unexpected way, then you get some sort of credit among the audience member. And they will let you know if you chat with them afterwards, in my yeah. experience. Mm. I mean, you get you get titters but do you feel do you feel that the ones that get the huge laugh are the ones that are unique and original in it because it's like boom yes usually when they are when they don't expect or when i dig myself into some darker material but then i manage to get out of it that's sort of okay well done uh -huh. because they they might be yeah sometimes i might have some material that is a bit uh, uh, i joke about uh, a, a mainly italian problem about crime, but it's not mafia. It's uh, <laughs> is uh, is more gr gruesome in a way. So it's um, you know a lot of uh, Italian men. That's a real Italian problem. They tend that they kill their their girlfriends or wives. They have this problem, and so I start mentioning this, and then the joke is that. Uh, what happens, and you read this on newspapers many times in Italy, they, maybe they kill their girlfriend, maybe they kill their wife or other people, and then they try to kill themselves. And my joke is, what do you mean you tried? You are able to just successfully practice murder on other people. Now it's your turn and you don't know how to do it anymore. All of a sudden you don't remember. It's, it's easy. It's just exactly like you did. So that there's a sort of relief, laughter out of relief, because I was entering a controversial territory which might end up very badly but maybe i managed to bring them on board with uh, another um with a hopefully clever little line joke yeah it, and also yeah if so i mean but you you're, you're able to get away with that because you know what your limits are and what like you're quite likable and warm whilst if if, if like Vallejo is an amazing comic, but would he get away with doing something dark like that? I don't know. No, <laughs> I probably would need to, you would need to warm them up a bit more, or you would need to, you could do my opinion, but it would do, it would need to do incremental, like, in, you know, like um, sort of a progression. So if yeah. he starts like a queer guy, but then he goes every step into something and he, he shows the audience that he's about to go, <laughs> like, shall I, should I, should I know? Yeah, well, then, uh, once you, uh, once you think, once you get in, in uh, connection with the audience, almost everything is possible, I would say. But you need to, sometimes in, 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 in a short set, in what you get no more than 20 minutes in a comedy club and people yeah. aren't there for you. They, they went there for the, if, if people buy a ticket for the 
top secret of the comedy store or other clubs, the Comedia or the Glee, they go to the place, they go to the establishment that they in. They might know the headliner, but they have they trust the name of the place. So you that means most of them don't know you. They don't know you yet. And then you need to be mindful of this. You need to be a bit more careful. Then you, again, once you get in touch with them, once they get to know you, everything is possible. If you don't get in connection, everything will be bad. It, it does seem to be the case. I mean, so there's a couple of venues uh, where I perform at where um, they, they, they don't like me to start with. So it's like when they're like that, it's like you could do the best thing in the world. And I mean, when people win those battles, it's, it's incredible. But I mean, like when you, they don't like you from the start and there's a bit of an issue, it's very hard to convince people of their, to change people's opinions of things effectively. Yeah. When, when this happens, in my opinion, what we should be able to do sometimes is not easy because we need to think on the spot. Maybe sometimes a possible solution would be to address the problem. Like you start with the wrong foot somehow and it's not necessarily your fault. Maybe they're expecting another type of comedy. They're expecting another type of energy. They're expecting something different. And, and it doesn't, there's, it's not a match. If you joke about it, like if you say, okay, I don't know, I feel like in a Tinder and you've just swap, uh, you should have swapped the right or left, but now I'm here. So if you, make the awkward situation visible for everyone to see, at least you give them something to relate to, they might acknowledge, they will say, oh yes, actually, you're right. We would, <laughs> we weren't finding you funny so far, but okay, so once you accept this, that yeah. puts you in a very vulnerable situation, but at least you can ask them to cut you some slack and, and, uh, and go with the, and see what happens. So it, it might be worth trying the, this something, uh, it, it takes time and I'm not very good. I'm still the type of person when the first uh, few lines, the first few jokes don't work as I expected, I get more nervous, but not in a positive way. So uh, sort of wrong energy, but we need to be able to, ass to assess, take a pause, maybe take a breath and say, okay, uh, uh, let's start with a, <laughs> something that uh, acknowledges the problem and probably it will partly solve it it's yeah it's it's um yeah it's it's a difficult thing i mean it's easy to say what we need to do in this situation but when we're in that moment with the adrenaline and all this focus it's it's hard to say stop right i need to yeah. think <laughs> maybe we can try to uh remind ourselves of sort of a bag of tricks like okay this is the set list i want to do this is my material but in my back pocket i have a um these extra things I will use in case, in case of emergency, like a sort of emergency exit. So you do your stuff, you start talking, and then if uh, things don't go as planned, you, you use the emergency break and say, okay, well, hold on a second. And then you, you break out of the material maybe and try some crowd work. This also could work if, uh, if the audience is uh, responsive. If not, you can just address uh, the, um, the awkwardness. There's a comedian, I don't remember her name. She's American. She has a very clever way of doing this. You know, like uh, she turns back to the audience as if she's speaking to, him, to herself. 
I don't remember her name. I've seen her videos only on uh, the Comedy Cellar or other places. And it was funny because she was, whatever happens, even if, whether they laugh or not, she turns her back to the, audi- to the audience and as if she's talking to herself, I, I told you this wasn't going to work. And then she turns back. And this, <laughs> this is funny because uh, then people see your internal, she represents her internal dialogue. And this is already funny for the audience, whether they like it or not before, now they like it. So it, it could help. Uh, do, do you know of uh, Jonathan Atherton? Uh, remind the name sounds, but I am very bad at name. Tell me if you, if you. He's a comic who helped transform the Southeast Asia scene, like Cambodia, Singapore, and Malaysia. And they made, oh. the, he's made them massive comedy hubs. I mean, um, RIP John, you, it's awesome what you did for the Southeast Asia comedy scene. You've really transformed it. Um, he, yeah, he changed it from something small to something big. And one of the things he did sometimes when he was changing the audience, because I spoke to a Malaysian community called Kevin J. So he's a pro yeah. over there. And what he did was he, um, he tried to reach them on their level. So if they're into football, talk about football, if they're drinking, grab a drink with them so that they feel the relatability to what's going on. And it's yeah, a bit that- like what you said there. Oh, it's an awkward situation. You're acknowledging it. I'm awkward. You're awkward. The tension's gone. Yeah, because uh, you, what I believe, what a good thing we could do, we show people that you can be vulnerable, that we have flaws. Because I'm not much of a comedian that uh, enjoys punching down on people, like if he is perfect and other people. Like, I rather like to show my flaws, my problem, my mm, uh, stupid ideas, uh, my fears, whatever it is, trying to look at, to make them funny. The idea is if you leave the show and uh, at the end of the show, you've you think too high of yourself, you clearly weren't connected. I'm trying to reassure everyone, it's fine to be weird, it's fine to be awkward. No need to pretend we are the you know, alpha man, macho man, we're just normal people. We can joke about our, our flaws, our problems. And this should help making things relatable because I believe the audience, you know, uh, MCs are very good when they manage to to chat up some people in the first rows and then they they make the, these people become ambassador for the audience and everyone can relate to the through them to the to the to the MC and the comedian so, so whatever their job whatever they're from uh, we get to know them and there's a sort of a of a dialogue so yeah i i would try this if they don't so it, it happens if i understood in some gigs where you've been and you found this sort of pattern when you go there and they're not uh, from the start, they don't like you. Yeah, well, there's a good gig that I run in Epsom. It, it, like, it gets packed, but they're all the same people most of the time. Mm. And I've struggled a couple of times there before, but yeah, what I could have said, oh, at least this time, hopefully it will be better or something. But yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all sort of Cockney geezer types and they're like, oh, what this, son? You fucking mucking about? You fucking what? You fucking... And they're all a bit... Well, some definitely not like that, and they're well into. I like football to a degree, but I'm not as into it as they are. So there's obviously a bit of they felt he's not one of us. Who the fuck is he? What are you fucking getting on the stage for? And I think what I in there, I have to try and maybe what maybe would be a smarter way is to acknowledge how I'm both different. 
yeah, or try to teach them to be in uh, Giza. Like, how can you teach me to be? What should I do? Shall I shave my head? Shall I have a tattoo? Which tattoo should I shall I have? Do you have any tattoo? Uh, I'm thinking of making it having a tattoo. Which one you suggest? Something that I don't know to see or some joking, uh, but in a funny, like in a sort of genuine way. Because if you run the van, the, the gig, and they keep coming, there might be you're doing a good job, in my opinion. It's it's a lovely venue, mate. I would love to have you down there. It's um, but it's the the owners I had there before were the best owners I've ever had. Like it was a clear example of what I want in a comedy show in like in terms of the owners since I went over there. And now that is the standard bear for each gig I go to. Yeah. Understand. So, but the audience went, and are you emceeing the that night or are you doing a? Well, it was a bit of a strange thing. So before I just used to do spot because I was too nervous and all that. And basically I was being a bit of a shit house really, and I shouldn't have, should have just done it anyway. But um, the last gig I did there, I actually did okay and I emceed a bit. <laughs> but it was the only time that I've done okay in there. It was but a bit... Because emceeing puts you in a middle action. You are a comedian, but also you are the friend of the audience. So it gives you room to, to go off material them to give them a bit of a spotlight if they want so you can pick uh, especially if you get to know the audience a bit more you know who's more friendly and try to say okay let's have a chat with this person let's uh, find yeah. what can we have in common let's uh, find uh, you can joke about plenty of, of things about their their job uh, the whatever they do what they like uh, um yeah, maybe asking for advice or something. But in this way, you will be endearing. I don't think they can, if they are upset, uh, if you're nice and they are still upset, then you are allowed to tell them, well, guys, you've been, you're, you're nasty. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. Yeah. I mean, exactly what you said there. One of the things that I found quite interesting is, do you know Danny McGinley? Yeah. Oh, do you know it? Have you read his article on MCing? Nope. He's got a fantastic article on MCing, like how to not suck at MCing. And this is a little thing that he chatted with a bunch of comics, and he's um, it's a world famous. It's even been used in China for hosting. And what one of the things I got from him, interviewing him, and also looking at the article was a key thing is finding out, as you said, who's willing to talk. And what he does, he asks general questions like, hello, welcome to whatever show. Um, have you, any of you been to a live comedy show before? Have you been to this comedy club before? Is this the first time you've seen comedy? And he looks at who are the big ones that go, ooh, like the ones that let out the big cheers, and then he picks on them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's because uh, I believe that since our job is, uh, is not theatre, we don't have an audience that is supposed to stay silent. We're not playing Hamlet. We're not. Uh, uh, we're not asking for a final applause. We we want uh, an interaction, sort of live interaction. At the very minimum, we need laughter. The MC is very good at breaking this fourth wall by letting us know, us and the audience, who's sitting in the first rows, for example, who's uh, giving an idea of the demographic of the audience, uh, giving some name. It could be. Uh, I don't know, John and Patricia could be uh, Mel and their friends, whoever they are, at some point they become part of the show. 
you the audience will, re, will remember oh yeah there were three four comedians and a couple in the first row was at the first date or maybe yeah. uh stag do or maybe three colleagues out of or for the living do whatever what they're doing so they get to know them and uh, these are our, our ambassadors really for the from the audience so we want to say something like it, it happens normally maybe if you have a bit of joke about uh, food and you know that in, in the MC spoke to someone who is vegetarian or is vegan or, or is a chef then you know you can uh, look at them when you when you do this joke you can deliver that joke spe specifically for them and it might work better because the audience will see oh you're really taking care of the of the audience so I I, I think yes we, we should uh, the MCs are, are crucial for, for our job I think one thing, I mean, you you're, you do a lot of the big clubs, like Top Secret Comedy Store, 99 Club and all that. One thing I noticed on the level that ain't at the higher tier of it is that the, a lot of the MCs are not as good as they could be. And they, they, don't, they avoid little things like that. They do the job, but I've seen a lot of them, they just go straight to the show and they say, hello there, how are you doing? What do you do for a living? They go straight to that. They don't go and see whether they're ones that want to interact with or... I, I haven't been to the N99 Club yet as a, as a performer, but uh, I've been quite a few times, especially at the, I'll give two examples from the Comedy Store and the Top Secret. In the Top Secret, Nico, Nico is, is one of the main resident MC. Yeah. And I quite like the way he does, uh, his, uh, he has a flow. He told me that he's listening to jazz music that gives him, helps him to have this kind of natural flow where he, looks generally interested and he is generally interested in the answer from the audience. He chats them. He looks like a friendly chat, but by doing so, he managed to uh, warm them up in a way that it doesn't feel like he's um, doing a bit, but it works. It, yeah. it warms them up. And uh, he's also very, very in control of the room. So he, people know they are in a safe pair of hands when they're with him. And at the top secret, I remember I've seen uh, at the comedy store. Sorry, I've seen many different MCs. One of them, uh, one I preferred was uh, um, I don't remember if you, I'm checking. I don't remember his name now because no, I've seen many. But one of them uh, chat up with a chat with the audience at the beginning, and when he came back to the green room, on a board, he, he designed a scheme of the a little drawing of the of the room, and he. He wrote the name of the people he had uh, a chat with and their profession, like engineer, first row, uh, next to maybe Sylvia, which is his uh, wife, uh, and maybe she's a lawyer. So, and he gave all these hints. And then some comedians would come from another gig because they usually double and would say, Oh, I know you have a bit about, I don't know, engineer. Uh, if you want, on this uh, side of the stage, right to the left, there's a couple, lovely couple. He's an engineer, so you can do your bit. Or, oh, you know, you're from Scotland, but there's a Scottish group of people over there. So, even comedians who weren't in the room when he started doing his MC, because maybe they were another gig or they arrived later, they, they had a sense of what's going on. So then when it was their turn, they went on stage knowing uh, more or less the room. So that, that was one of the most clever things I've ever seen done by an MC. And it happened at the, at the comedy store. Oh, that, that's bloody brilliant, man. That makes that that's that's like giving a give. Yeah, that's that's giving candy to a baby. Yeah, because because another thing that I've seen sometimes not in those clubs, 
clubs, but more when I was at the beginning. Um, what happens is you have people that try to do a lot of crowd work during the during the the their show, but they haven't paid attention to the MC. So they ended up repeating, like, okay, what's your <laughs> name, mate? What's your name? He said the name, and the audience knows this because they've been there from the beginning. So if there's a team in first row, we already know team. And if team is a I don't know, a police officer, we already know. And if you can turns up and say, what's your name, team? And what's your job, police officer? <laughs> that means you haven't paid attention to. So it's, it's a bit, uh, in my opinion, risky when you do this. Uh, if you, either you have an MC very good that can give you some hint, but the good comedians usually ask for the MC. Okay, who should I, uh, which one can I talk to, which one? And, and they know what to tell you. Okay, you have this bit because the MCs know most of the material. So they know, okay, I think you will be perfect with this person, that they, they help each other. I'm trying to find the name of the comedian. I don't remember which one was the MC because there were, I don't want to say any name because it might be another one, but yes, was one of the MC at the, at the uh, comedy store. And that, I remember that, you know, in the green room of the comedy store, they have a, a board where they write the lineup and stuff. Yeah. And he took a space of it to, to just write stuff Games. Uh, that was clever. That's something. If I ever had a club with a green room, and I would do the same because at least you know more, and you you can study a bit more. There's a lot of work behind the scene, and people don't get it, and that's fascinating, in my opinion. What? what how would you? So, I mean, you've gigged with some of the best in the country, and like, there's. It doesn't seem like much from the outside or comics that if there's comics listening now who are like open micers and they think, oh, I, I was funnier than this person here. Well, I'm better than this person. What have you noticed about the best comics you've seen in terms of the amount of work they do pre-stage and after stage to, and to those that are good, but uh, mediocre and not as good as them? I've noticed that they, uh, they take care of what happens in the room. So they, they read the room and they are aware of themselves and the room, so they know what's going on. The, my, my opinion, like a great comedian, you know, Jeff Innocent, he has, oh. he has a ton of material for every possible situation. So you can see that he is studying the, the crowd, the room. This is what I, 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 maybe you would say, no, I just natural, but I think he has very, uh, such, such a long experience that he knows, okay, maybe he has a, audience that is mainly made of tourists so he has something that he knows how to tune his material because you don't want to go let's say if your best of your material your best material is uh, from i don't know differences between london nor north london and south london and you are in glasgow chances are that that material won't work doesn't matter how clever it is maybe the audience is not interested in your point of view about North London versus South London because they're living in Scotland. They don't, don't care. And their right not to care is not their fault. You, you should adapt. So a very good experienced comedian will have plenty of material to tweak their jokes so that to make them more um, real for the people that are in that room at that moment. And, uh, or if there's something very awkward, they will know how to uh, address the awkwardness in, in a Another good thing without being um, rude. You know, when you've seen a comedian that maybe, I mean, maybe the room is, is bad, it's a bad room, or maybe yeah. the, the service is terrible, or maybe the microphone goes off and on continuously, and we know that, okay, there's not a good PA, there's something wrong. 
and everyone would like to complain about it, a good comedian would find a way to make it public, to say it out loud in a way, but in a funny way that doesn't make anyone feel um, diminished. So they will laugh at what is awkward, but without, um, without taking offense for, for this. So that, that's something I'm, I'm, I've noticed. Jeff Innocent is one of my, my favorites because uh, he always sur surprises me. And um, I remember once uh, there was a, a, a comedy night, central London, but a lot of tourists and tourists from um, uh, outside abroad. So there were, there were, I believe they were from China. You know, when you have uh, like the first two, three rows, uh, a sort of a tourist group, they don't even speak English very well. So someone is <laughs> translating for them. It's a sort of a, not, you know, it's not going to be a good night because they, yeah. they don't even understand what you're saying. So you can be as good as, but you are professional. So it has all the job. He was the headliner. And at the very end, since he got not as, as a good response as he was expecting, of course, because mainly because the first three, four rows of the, of the club were, um, with people that didn't even understand what he was saying. So that was the main problem. At the very end, he said, oh, you've been lovely. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram, social media. My name is John Smith. And he just lives like this with a, <laughs> with a fake generic name, uh, making fun of the audience that didn't, didn't get him. So sort of a <laughs> side joke. Uh, and that, that's, uh, that's <laughs> but he, he did such with a, such natural way that for us was a treat for the comedians in the back of the room. For those who knew him, it was a treat again. For the tourists who didn't get anything from the beginning, maybe they were they went home looking for John Smith. I doubt it because they, <laughs> and that's funny anyway. So it's uh, this kind of they are undaunted, they are unaffected. No matter how difficult the situation is, they will find a way to do their job, do their 20, 25, 30 minutes of material, and having fun with that, trying stuff and be present. So that's, in my opinion, my, the main difference. If you start thinking, oh no, I was supposed to be good, but that <laughs> night the crowd didn't help me. Uh, we need to be so good that uh, no matter how is the crowd, we still manage to do a decent job, in my opinion. And don't, yeah, the more you make excuses for things and don't make take responsibility, the less like you're going to sort sort shit out effectively as well. Yeah, because imagine for other sports, I don't know, for other activities, if there's a footballer who says, yeah, I'm very good, but not if it rains. You would tell him, well, or maybe a basketball player, I'm very good, but I cannot uh, score from three points. So you would tell them train harder when in, so that you can improve where you're weak. And you, what can, you have to be complete. You have to be better. So in the, I believe that... We need to work whenever we think that it's somebody else's fault. So we think, oh, I was funny, but this gig was in, uh, I don't know, uh, North uh, England and I'm not good in North England. No, it might be more difficult for us. Maybe it's, it's a demographic we are not used to and they're not used to our, our style, but there might be a way at some point to be good. It can't be their fault. It you cannot. You just got to do your homework and study it and get, if you're running out of ideas, ask someone else or talk to people and people in comedy. I mean, though we are quite competitive with each other, for the most part, we are, we, we like talking about comedy. And so if you yeah. talk to a lot of comics that are doing better than you and I are to play them, you could ask them and figure out why. And, and also if there's a comedy night and you're not doing well, but everyone else is doing well, maybe it is not uh, your, maybe you have something to do, but like, 
unless they are completely drunk and really, really unresponsive, and maybe there's a brawl of, um, during the gig, okay, that's an horrible gig, but normally when you bomb, but everyone else is doing well, you, you bombed, so you need to find a way. Maybe you didn't warm them up uh, at the beginning. Maybe you had a, a too strong material at the beginning of your set and they didn't know you and you start very bold, uh, but you should be more nice at the beginning, nicer or more quieter. I don't know, it depends. Or maybe the other way around. Maybe, maybe you had a nice material, but you were too soft-spoken and you didn't engage with them pro properly. I don't know. There may, might be plenty of... of uh, uh, reasons and the, the difficult bit is that the following gig it will be different so even if maybe the following gig you have a great energy but maybe now it's another thing that you need to fix the more you do the the more experienced you become because i believe that people like jeff innocent and others they are good because they've been through so many bad gigs then they they come out to the other side and then now they yeah. they know how to do it it's not new for them for us is oh there's a difficult crowd for them is one of the many difficult crowds they've been dealing with since i don't know for for the last uh, for the past yeah. 20 years so they know how, they know what to do it's yeah and it's 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 not yeah it's about okay you didn't get what you want but it's like how do i find my way past it treat it like an obstacle course yeah but that's, we want experience. And again, I believe that uh, we need to be consistent. Another thing I'm learning uh, in big clubs that will call you if you don't fail, if, you, if, you, if they call you once and then another time, another time and then you are consistently good, doesn't need to be the best every time, but at least good enough to keep the night going and, and make people yeah. laugh with a decent pace, with a decent rhythm of ratio for laughter and jokes, then eventually that will give you more and more chances. And the more you do, of course, the first time you do 20 minutes, you won't be very good because you will be very worried of how can I get to the 20 minutes? Will I end up, will I run out of material too soon? Will I have all my good material at the beginning? Then maybe I don't know how to close, but once you achieve this, then you keep doing it, keep doing it. And the, the 50th time you're doing 20 minutes, it feels natural for you. That's your natural uh, pace, your natural set. So it's all about growing, I believe. And it's a bit like, um, and, and I mean, what, what about when you go to America, you drink 45 minutes? <laughs> Yeah, and you, need, and, and you are the headliner then, so you need to be the, the be better than the people before. They, they warm them up, so in a way you start with an audience that is not cold, but you need to throw them the best. And again, the 45 minutes you have in a US comedy club is not your Edinburgh show, of course. Yeah. I mean, unless you're very, very established, unless they really love you, you cannot say, okay, now for the first 50, next 50 minutes, I will lead you in a journey of self-discovery that I about myself because they might not, maybe it's a Saturday night and they just want to laugh, which is perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Now, now you, you've, you've done, you mentioned before, like you've done lots of different comedy clubs, you've done lots of sets, but you, you've also sort of gigged in Italy. Now, how has that been and how has that sort of helped you in a way and, and sort of how has it also been challenging? So in, in Italy, now stand-up comedy is considered a relatively new uh, thing, although they have been 
in the past, a lot of comedians were doing monologues, but now after Netflix and stuff, then uh, uh, in the last 10 years, maybe, it's become also a, a trend, something that is a trend. People uh, don't know much about the Italian comedy tradition, but they've seen every Netflix special or Amazon special, although they, they maybe they've seen it in uh, with subtitles, because in Italy, the younger generation now speak English decently well, but my generation and people older, they don't, they don't speak English. So only after Netflix, they were able to enjoy um, comedy, American or English comedy. And uh, the thing is, uh, uh, there isn't a proper circuit. There aren't many comedy clubs. The tradition of uh, Italian comedy is more uh, sketch variety. And there are a few, few places, especially in the North, but not only where they do this regularly. But the monologue, uh, your 10 minutes uh, where you are yourself and uh, talk about yourself, it's, it's considered sort of new sometimes. And uh, sometimes the audience, uh, for the audience, it takes a while to understand what you're, what you're doing. Because uh, imagine if you are, if there's a sketch, a duo sketch before you, maybe there's a musical act and maybe there's a, a, someone doing character comedy. And then there you are. People might assume, oh, what's, what's his character? What's his uh, shtick? But they don't know. And then you need to, to explain them a little bit. And so it, it, it's the good thing is improving. The, the not so good thing at the moment is that it takes time. It's not a big, a big scene yet. And uh, I found out this is my personal experience. Whereas what I like of the British style is the self-deprecation. So I, I I joke about myself and I make myself I, I make fun of myself and of the audience if I'm an Italian. Like for example, I like to joke about being Catholic. So I'm Catholic, I I go to church, but I laugh at my own religion because there are so many funny sides in my religion. <laughs> this makes people laugh in, in, in the UK with no problem. In Italy, I give you this example. Um I was a uh, recording a bit for a TV show. And uh, I, I started with, luckily we recorded twice. So the second time I was able to, to put this joke halfway through the set, not at the very beginning. But at the very beginning, I would say I'm Catholic. When I was little, it's, um, they told me, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be Catholic. But now they changed terms and conditions. So apparently now, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be a decent person which is difficult if you are Catholic. <laughs> Usually the reaction is okay in the UK, they laugh, maybe because they are Protestant uh, Church of England, I don't know, but they laugh. In Italy, I, I look like uh, Elsa and Frozen, like uh, I, I, I surround me and I thought, and, and after the, the, the show, the first recording, someone talked to me and said, well, why did you say this about Catholic? What, what, you know, what do you mean it's hard to be Catholic? And I didn't know where to start, like should I start with <laughs> crusades or uh, anti-semitism burning witches which i don't even know what to pedophilia is not even the top three of the list of the problem of my religion <laughs> like is the is the most recent one but not even the worst like we have so many and i didn't i was about to say i received which part because i've i if i had made any jokes about other religions they would have been on board because it's not them. The idea is, oh, make us feel better by joking about them. But if you make us, if you joke about what is important for us, why are you doing? And, and the, the answer is because this is comedy. We don't, 
we cannot take ourselves seriously. There's, I like the irony, I like humor. I don't quite like sarcasm because sarcasm is more towards other people. Like uh, I will find a witty, clever way to make you feel a bit worse. But I prefer to see, show me your own flaws, laugh at what is sacred for you, and then we can be friends and we can be on board. It's easier, I believe. So that's the main difference, in my opinion. And, and, and what you said there is very hard to do. If any, a lot of performing artists were so concerned about being certain things that we don't, we're not, we should just, we're all fucked up in our own way. There's not a single person on this earth who is not fucked up in one. No, but and that's the, the beauty, like uh, the beauty of comedians is that we go on stage, we don't pretend to be better than you. We don't pretend to be smarter or, yeah, morally superior. We just show you all of our flaws and insecurity and whatever. And again, uh, what happens is, uh, of course, if, if, if you're comedians, wants to build their own career on slagging off other people that are nothing to do with him. I believe it's a bit an either an old way of doing comedy and not so interesting because if I want to know uh, some clever witty remarks about gay people, I know I can have plenty of gay comedians who can give me a more meaningful insight. If you do, if some comedians would do, I don't know, 20 minutes just about um, gay people and he's not gay, I was, I would think, why are you so obsessed with, with them? What's, what, what, what about, tell me about your sexuality. I'm more interested now. <laughs> now, now we got your, my attention. Why is, the, is that a problem for you? Is, if, is a, if it's a problem, Let, tell me about your insecurity. Tell me about what happens. Are you single? Are you, that, that makes me more interested as an audience member and as a comedian. But this is my, my way of seeing why do you have that problem? Like, what, what are you hiding? Did was did you get dumped by by a bloke yeah, a while uh, ago? What happened? That's that's the part that the, you don't. I mean, that's the because again, you can have if it's relevant for you. If it's something that happened to you in your life, I want to know about it. If it's just your uh, clever observation about something that doesn't have anything to do with you, it's still okay. You can still do, but in this. In this case, I would like you to address someone who is in a position maybe of power because that's more interested. You want to uh, criticize someone. We have plenty. We have an entire government to criticize if we want. We can criticize uh, uh, people who wage war. We can criticize a lot of people. Uh, like, for example, I know that um, uh, this is something I've, I found out, like uh, um, Dave Chappelle, uh, I don't know if you've seen his last special. I, I watched it and I thought, why is it? talking so long about trans people like in a way it felt as if he was kind of playing the victim and I said come on you are a very successful millionaire comedian and nobody asked you to pick a fight with transgender people which is not exactly the most powerful people in the planet so uh, can you say something about white people I like it more when he does because it's uh, because it, it's more uh, comes from a place of, of personal experience, in my opinion. But again, yeah. that doesn't mean that, um, I don't know, like uh, I don't have many opinion about uh, the transgender world because I know very little about it. And it's not dictating my life in any ways. So I don't feel like, yeah, speak true to power. I have, I'm not in the government, but I do have some opinion about the government because this is affecting my life <laughs> in many shapes and views. So I, if I really have to choose a target, I would choose something in a position of power. But again, 
and not personal choices. But this is my my way of seeing. Yeah, it's one of the things that annoys me quite a lot. Like in terms of a lot, there's a lot of people that I come across. Some people I come across, not a lot. Most people are easy going. They're nice and all right. And they get on with their own thing. But there's, there are a certain number of people that I sometimes come across where they want to talk about something that they're not really qualified to talk about, but they think they, they know a lot about it. And when you can see how wrong they are in it and they keep on doing that, it's, it's, it's quite annoying. Because this, this idea, they say, we should be able to talk about everything, which is true, but we should know about what we talk about. I mean, um, we can talk about everything after we've done a bit of study of research. And if it's yeah. something about living, like, I don't know because uh, I don't. Uh, I'm interested. I read uh, sometimes articles and stuff, but I never thought, okay, I really, really need to speak out about transgender people because they want to use toilets. I, it's not. First of all, personally, it doesn't affect me at all. The, 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 I don't look at the when I go to the toilet. I don't look at at the what they. I, I, I don't look at. The, I just look at my cubic. You know, I stay in my. <laughs> I have my boundaries. I go there as to the least amount of time I can and just I leave quickly. I just I wash my hands and I leave. And I don't have a plenty of... Uh, okay, if my maybe if I had, a, I don't know, a brother who is transgender, I would have an insight into this world and maybe I would have some find a funny way to talk about something that might somehow affect my life. But if I, if I have no opinion, like this is something I never understood of J.K. Rowling. She picked this fight and I don't know, really, my answer, my question would be, why are you picking this fight? And all I know about her is that she also has a pseudonym, as a, as a, she writes book under the male name for, so, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't think that, I think that sometimes we hide behind the banner of free speech, but you need to be able to talk about something that, and this is my opinion from a personal point of view, they need to be meaningful to you. They need to be, uh, I want to see some true. I don't want just to see some hack so that we can re to, to, to mention back the hack, yeah. the concept yeah. of hack. Something that every drunk person in a pub would say on a Saturday afternoon after the football match. This is not what we are supposed to be uh, paid for. Like, uh, I don't want to see a comedian that repeats something that is not uh, that clever, not that funny, not that relevant, not that personal. Because then I can really hear overhear this for free in a pub near the any stadium. So I, why why we are we even inviting people to a comedy club to to hear the same idea over and over? I don't know. It's my my thought. Mm. Yeah, it, it's 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 boring. Like when newspapers, we always want to see the fucked up stuff or the stuff that's out of the ordinary. We don't want to hear oh. Next, there's never been a newspaper article about someone who's a regular guy just cleans his garden and he went to bed. I mean, that yeah. was really the most boring newspaper headline ever. Probably because if he does so, it's because he buried some people after, under the garden. And so now ah. we need to know why he cleared the garden. Probably was, uh, we should ask, can you clear? Yeah, you're right. We are, but we are attracted to what is not perfect. What's, what's not perfect attracts our attention, I believe. We want to see something. Sometimes it's a morbid curiosity. Sometimes it might be more a human curiosity. Um, but uh, sometimes uh, we oversimplify things. Tabloids are a problem because they, yeah. they are like a 
simplified version of a newspaper that don't I doubt you can learn something from reading. It's one of the few cases where you read a newspaper and at the end you are less informed than before and probably ill-informed and, and misled. So it, it's weird because there were more honest, the most honest things about the sun was the page three with the boobs. At least there were boobs. <laughs> I mean, that, that could be fake sometimes. I don't think, but anyway, they were the most beautiful, honest part of that newspaper. And you know, page three, boobs and what you get boobs oh how refreshing you yeah. could trust page three of the sun this is the only one you could really trust in my but opinion it's, uh, what you said there's too the straight man that that's that's you know you can try and say oh you shouldn't be doing this but at the heart of it in all honesty that's what they're probably attracted to but you, you can't say that though you can't say oh hello there love uh nice can I have it, a look? Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> but if you think about, I don't know how this came across the, when they needed to sell copies, but they thought, okay, that maybe they thought, will anybody ever buy a copy of our newspaper just because of what we write on it? Mm, not really, unless they really like to be taken for fools. What about we add boobs in page three? Oh, that, that, that would tip the balance off. Yeah, that, that would help. I believe this is how probably they got the idea. Mm. Do you, and you, what you said there's a bit like you know with boxers or MMA fighters when they get like Conor McGregor right now he's gotten so much success so much power it's very hard for him to get any honest feedback from a lot of people because people are too um, you know if he's not happy with them they lose their money so they have to say they can't they can't tell him the honest truth about a lot of things so he gets a bit detached and then you know he he, he can't be as good as he was you have an example even on a bigger scale, like with Putin, in my opinion, someone should have told him that the Russian army wasn't exactly the mighty army they used to parade. And uh, nobody, when you surround yourself by yes, man, you, you ended up doing bad decision. In the UK, I, I, I'm, that's a, a topic that is very close to me and is Brexit because uh, uh, I think it was a sort of a, perfect mistake that nobody is admitting yet and I'm, and I'm, and it's not about yeah. being left-wing or right-wing whatever whatever your opinion about brexit i still have to find some honest benefit out of it if someone could explain me yeah well you know what we got these great things at the moment we haven't seen the most honest thing someone said was that in 10 15 years we might see benefit but 10 15 years is a kind it's like saying okay if you shoot in your foot in Two years the the wound will heal yes how about i don't even shoot on my foot for for a start so we got i i skip the healing process the wounding process and i just leave this is another sensitive topic i i'm aware of this the the only <laughs> joke i i managed to find about brexit was to compare this with the titanic a very long <laughs> version of titanic when it takes forever to hit the iceberg and the passengers vote for the iceberg but the only way I got away with this was when I said, still, I choose to live in the UK because if I have to move back to Italy, for me, it would be like choosing between Titanic and Costa Concordia. So two, uh, two shipwrecks, but one is epic. The other one is uh, not even that, uh, that uh, famous. So I, I stick to the epic failure, at least it's epic on a massive scale. But this is the only way I somehow get some laughter because I know it was a very sensitive topic but uh, uh, and although now I'm British, so I feel fully allowed 
to talk oh. about it. I became British last year during the pandemic. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I got a letter, welcoming letter with a picture of the Home Secretary, which is unfortunately <laughs> pretty Patel, so she was <laughs> smiling in the picture. And uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah. and again, as an immigrant, I'm not thinking that every immigrant is, is good because like pretty Patel's parents were immigrants and clearly they did something that no. I don't approve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like pretty Patel, so yeah. Um, but, but yeah, Brexit's something I don't really. I mean, it's not something that I was ever. Something that I don't know that much about. I think it's something that I I can't really talk that much about. I mean, the only thing I can say now is that um, <clears throat> it's a lot harder to get a job in France now. Now, now that I'm there and the stage, and I would prefer it right now if I could. <laughs> yeah, because. Well, uh... Do you have the British passport? You don't have a yeah. French passport. So when you, I think you need to stay 90 days and then you have to, after 90 days in Europe, you need to go back and then you come back. How does it work? I don't remember. There's a sort of a limit. Yeah. I, 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 my stay is sort of 70 days, but also I was thinking, you know, if I'm going to try and make some money here, there's all sorts, before there wouldn't be as many complications, but if I was going to do this or that, I'm not going to say what I'm going to do, but um, you know it would be a lot yeah, easier yeah. before. It would, it yes, so that's but the the same. I, I remember when they were happy about abolishing freedom of movement. Even the name sounds nice, freedom of movement. Why should we be happy about a lack of freedom? I don't doesn't make sense. Again, I'm not entering the details of politics, but I just believe that, especially for comedians, for artists, what we need is a world where we can travel freely we need to make experience we need to meet audiences anywhere in the world so as long as there are uh, less worlds and and i don't much believe in the idea of the myth of nation like when you are proud of where you are born because uh, it means that you are proud of something you haven't chosen anyway because like you, of course you can study when you study history there are many pages of history italian history that make me feel ashamed of course and others that make me feel happy but i am not uh, responsible for any of them i'm not uh, michelangelo i haven't made any name one masterpiece of renaissance trust me i've done nothing i haven't i haven't created anything that is famous and uh, i was born after fascism so i'm not responsible for neither good or bad things if all my pride had to be uh, based on where my parents had sex and conceived me, <laughs> you know, it's a very weak, like, because I wasn't there. I was at, at some point I was there, but again, I don't think that it was my choice of, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to, to, to be able to taste uh, the cappuccino the way it should be made. So now I'm gonna enter the sack balls of my dad and making sure he's Italian. This is not how it worked. So I didn't, uh, want to become Italian or I, I just, I was Italian, it happens. And I hope to be one day proud of something good I might have done in my job rather than uh, the flag on, on my passport. But again, we will see. Let's see. And I've got some sort of uh, questions to ask you in this. What, if you, if you, so I asked this to a few community, I said to um, Kevin J, asking what song best describes comedy. And he says, I will survive. Uh, what what song would you say best describes comedy? 
And what food would you say describes comedians and comedy? Okay, so <laughs> song for comedy. Uh, let me think. I will say Lose Yourself, the Eminem. Why okay. not? By Eminem. Yeah. Or On a Bad Night, Heart from Jimmy Ca uh, Johnny Cash. Heart to Johnny Cash. Because <laughs> <laughs> if the, when the night is, when you had a bad gig on your way home, you listen to uh, Heart by Johnny Cash and you think, yeah, I did it on purpose. I wanted to. To see if I can feel, but now we'll say lose yourself before a gig, heart after the gig. Food wise, uh, I would say, um, mm, food wise, uh, a burger maybe <laughs> because can be unbelievably good or bad. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's like uh, it's comedy, not overly healthy. <laughs> so, if you have too many, you won't get old anyway, which solves your pensions problem. <laughs> but now there's a big variety you can have the vegan the vegetarian the fake meat uh, the original meat the proper british the not so proper british the high price range the not so price so there's a bit of everything so burger is the most uh, you can be you can adjust it the way you want and the only two questions i'd like to ask now are like what's the biggest thing that you've learned from comedy and how do people find out about your work so what's the biggest uh, thing you've learned from comedy oh, okay i've learned to try and live in the moment live the present uh, and not in my head but at least when i'm on stage try to live on stage with the whole body with the, all myself trying to speak to the people that are actually in front of me not the imaginary audience i want to see me on netflix in 20 years time so try to be living in the present and be positive because you need to be positive is a marathon so you cannot you can you cannot let uh, bad gigs or bad nights disappoint you. Uh, you need to take them in consideration and keep moving, keep moving, learning, learn the lessons and keep moving. And if people want to know about me, they can follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. I put the very I like to say is very clever link tree. Do you know link tree? Oh yeah. So if they amazing. go in the bio on Instagram or uh, Twitter and they click on it, they will see that. They can book tickets for my Brighton Fringe. They can book tickets for my Edinburgh Fringe, which I really need. Or they can see my other social media and the shows I'm going to do. So I would suggest Luca Cupani on either Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any of them. It's bloody awesome knowing that link tree. There's another comic that I saw called Gemma Louisiana. She did a great, lovely little thing called Pop, where she gets a little thing on that and she you just scan it on the camera a bit and then you get all of it on there without. Oh, that's nice. I haven't this, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's clever. I do have uh, uh, some business card with the QR code for the link yeah, tree yeah. because that helps some people. Maybe cannot spell my name after a gig, or maybe they're a bit tipsy. But if they have the business card, they will the following day in Hangover they will remember and they will hopefully scan and see my my profile. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. But little by little. Yes. But it's been an absolute pleasure. For, um, it's been amazing, uh, Luca. Um, I'll I'll get this episode done in like a week or so. And Perfect. For guys listening back home, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, make sure you subscribe. Um, give us a, give us a five star view on Amazon or iTunes. Make it ten though, just to be nice. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> that support uh, both live comedy and. Uh, uh, Pod, podcast comedy because exactly guys we need it <laughs> yeah uh, 
And guys, I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.